This morning, we are in uh, Matthew chapter 4. We're covering the first 11 verses of this chapter. And the title of this morning's message is The Lusts Before Us. I want to um, give a quick disclaimer, though. These lusts is not necessarily something that uh, we can always reference to as being uh, an intimate kind of a subject. Lusts is anything that you desire after, you desire for. And that's what a lust really is. And I can tell you personally from my own life that there are a lot of little shiny things before me. And I think if you were truthful, um, you would say the same about yourself, right? Your own life. There are a lot of little shiny things that grab your attention that are in front of you all the time. You know, they, they take the form of, uh, you know, the, you have that um, elusive carrot, right? That's dangled before you at times. And uh, we're not always um, really sharp and aware. And sometimes we take the bait. And so I just want to give that little disclaimer that, you know, th- this is something that as I was going through and studying, we have only one perfect example, and that is, and that is Jesus Christ. Um, everyone else kind of pretty much falls short. At the same time, we should be growing. We should be allowing the Lord to do a work in our lives in such a way that we're not the same people we were even six months ago or a year ago. As we're growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we're maturing. We're coming to a place to where these dangling carrots, these shiny things before us, begin to diminish in their value in our lives. And they don't hold the same value that they once did, as we continue to see that the greatest value in our lives is Jesus Christ and Him alone. It is truly an amazing contrast to go from having just been baptized in the Jordan by John the Baptist, and God the Father saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased to now being led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil himself. Look with me to Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Let's pray. Now we'll get into the word. Father, oh, it's... Uh, It's quite interesting, Lord, as we take a look at this text this morning, how it is that we too could have these mountain high experiences as we walk with you, Father, that is just glorious and we couldn't have it any better to the next moment, seeming like we're in the wilderness, in the valley, in darkness even, in not knowing which way to turn. In having temptation before us, tests that you have allowed in our own lives. Sometimes even wondering if you're still there. And yet your word tells us that you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. You love us with an everlasting love. And so I pray, Father, this morning that you would help us to understand how to be victorious as we are tempted, as we are tested, as we are tried in these lives. That we would be more than conquerors in Christ. That we would look at the example of Jesus and apply it to our own lives, to your glory, to our strengthening, and to our continue, continuation, uh, uh, continuing learning, uh, the, the, the thing that we need to do in our own lives to, to walk with you in such a way that we bless you. And so, Lord, we commit this morning into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing. And we ask, Lord, that you would give us understanding and help us to be humble before you, receiving all that we hear according to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
It's interesting, isn't it? Being baptized in the Jordan. Now he's being led into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted, to be tested by the devil himself. It's interesting how Jesus brought to the wilderness by the Spirit and was brought into the wilderness by the Spirit. And in a similar way, you could say, Israel was brought into the wilderness by God. Both were tested, both the Israelites and Jesus. Only the Israelites failed in their test. And the ones that crossed the did not cross the Jordan into the promised land. They only went they didn't go any further, except for Joshua and Caleb, which were considered to be the faithful ones. But Jesus, our perfect example of how it is that we are to be victorious through the testing of our faith, is before us. Is there anyone that goes through life without going through some type of testing? Do you, do you go through any kind of? Uh, do you go through life without any trials, any temptation? How many of you went through some kind of testing, temptation, or trial this last week? Anyone? Yeah, I'll probably all hands go up, right? You have to some extent. Um, James 1, 2 through 4. I know it's quoted. Uh, not always our favorite, though. But this is what James writes in, James, in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let, let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. As the ESV, I memorized it in New King James Version. How many of you learned it? Have, do you memorize? You memorize scripture, right? Your word have I hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. So it's good to memorize scripture. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing at all. Nothing. Patience or steadfastness is listed in the fruit of the Spirit according to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. This is a quality that is very important to have toward the Lord. And be mindful, this is toward the Lord first. Secondly, toward man. In fact, um, being patient, being steadfast toward the Lord will produce a patience and a steadfastness toward other people in the right manner. Being a person who's unwavering, resolute, firm, loyal toward God which then reflects in our relationships with others. Jesus is our perfect example of how to face tests that prove our steadfast loyalty and faith in the Lord and enjoy a life that is abundant and victorious in Christ. Here are some things to consider. Jesus had just identified with sinners by being baptized in the Jordan by John the Baptist. Now Jesus is identifying with sinners by being exposed to the most extreme testing. In fact, most of us are not tested personally by the devil himself. We say, well, the devil made me do it, right? (laughs) Or the devil is tempting me. But many times, uh, it's not him. It's one of his little minions that he's dispatched to tempt you to bring some kind of testing in your life that the Lord, by the way, has allowed. There's nothing that happens without Him allowing, authorizing that certain activity in your life. There's nothing. It's like, so you can, you know, it's like, thank you, God, for allowing that test in my life. But it serves a purpose. It, it, it is for something that God has in mind, He has planned in our lives. But Jesus himself was tested personally and directly by Satan himself, and it was necessary. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Have you ever gone from experiencing, and I I said a little bit in the prayer, gone from experiencing, experiencing this cool, refreshing, 
like kind of like uh, the waters are flowing and you feel great spiritually, personally. I mean, it's just awesome to be in this place, to walk, being, feeling like you're in the barren wilderness. Have you ever gone to those extremes? At one point, feeling like you're among many. And then the next moment, you feel like you're in solitude. Jesus just had the Spirit come down from heaven and rest upon him. And now that same Spirit is leading him into the wilderness to be tested. Are both the will of the Father? Yeah, they're both the will of the Father. There are many things I want to tell you in life that you will not have an answer for. We're always asking, aren't we? Why? Why is this happening? Why did you allow this? If we don't understand that the Lord's plans are perfect, and we don't surrender to Him, we can lean so far in that direction that we come into a state of bitterness, of even anger toward the Lord. And that ought not be what the child of God experiences. What the child of God comes to know and even live out in their own lives. It shouldn't shouldn't be. If that was a fact, then the Apostle Paul should have been the most angry and bitter Christian that has ever walked the face of the earth. Oh no, let let me top that. How about Job? Job should have been the most angry and bitter and upset with God kind of Christian that ever walked the face of the earth. So, it shouldn't be a part of the Christian who's experiencing these troubles in their lives. It shouldn't be. Jesus had just heard the voice of the Father, and now he's hearing the hissing of Satan. Jesus had just been anointed by the Father, and now he's being attacked by the deceiver. Jesus had just been baptized in water, and now he's being dipped into the fire of temptation. Jesus had heaven open up to him, and now hell is opening up to him. Both the baptism and the temptations were unnecessary to help Jesus grow. He didn't need to grow. But they were both acts that identified him with you and I. Oh man, the love that God has for us is just amazing. Just remember that the work of the Spirit includes that which proves our faith. Not to God, but to ourselves, so that we may continue growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's 2 Peter 3.18. Continuing, this, this should be a continuous act in our lives. We're growing. We're understanding God's grace that much more. With every single breath that we take as we read the scriptures, as we come to understand and apply it to our lives, We should continually be growing, not be stagnant, but growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This proving of our faith brings to the surface some things that make us aware of where our trust is, of where our faith in God is. It's like these tests. Again, God knows all things. It's not like we're coming to him in these tests and trials and then we can pat ourselves on the back and say, didn't I make it through that so well, God? He's like, oh, if you only knew the reason for that test, but you'll have another one. Don't worry about it. He loves us so much. He wants us to draw close to him, but it's not through pride. It's through humility. These tests, these temptations, by the way, are there to prove to us, to reveal to us where our hearts are. Why? So that we would know how to confess and how to repent. What to repent from. What to turn from. 
These are important lessons. By the way, it's not to condemn, but to convict us to change in repentance. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, in the New Living Translation says, For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, that, that's a, a turning away from sin, results in spiritual death. If you keep going down the same path, it results in spiritual death. C.H. Spurgeon said, quote, Luther's remark stand tr- stands true. That prayer, meditation, and temptation are the three best instructors of the gospel minister, close quote. By the way, it's not only true of the gospel minister, preacher, pastor, elder, deacon, but you, every single Christian. These three are the best instructors of you and I. So, Jesus had fasted. Have you ever fasted? Fasted for a day, fasted a meal. Fasted for a week, two weeks. Well, Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And he was hungry. I was thinking of desperation. This is what comes to mind when a person is in such a state as Jesus was. Humanly speaking, the things one is willing to do that he would not normally do is many times universally accepted. And people will say, well, it's okay. They're living in a desperate state of mind. It's okay to steal, to borrow, to beg. Let me take it from there. How about to borrow or to cheat? For the sake of self-preservation. That's powerful. When, when, you, when that like kicks in, when someone is threatening your very life, self-preservation is very powerful. When you feel like you're going to die, and you're out in the open water, and you have someone coming to save your life, you will take them down for one extra breath. And they're there to save you. What you will do in a state of desperation. That's what kept coming to mind. Physically, it's one thing. But spiritually, it's another. Physically, you may live one more day. But spiritually, you'll go into deeper poverty. Let's take a look at three areas in which Jesus was tempted and tested. And and see how it was that he handled these assaults. By the way, Jesus wasn't just tempted with these three. These are the three that were recorded, but the Bible is very clear that the, the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tested, to be tempted the whole time through. These three are recorded for us, though, here before us in Matthew chapter 4. We see three things. The lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and the lust of the eyes. Those are the three main areas we have in front of us. Let's talk about the first one, the lust of the flesh. Back to verse 2. It says, And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So the first temptation was Satan appealing to the lust of the flesh. I mean, think about it. Jesus had just, again, fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. So to be hungry, wouldn't you say it'd be an understatement? Absolutely. That's, that's an understatement. To even think about the fact that Jesus, being the Son of God, could turn that rock, that stone, into a nice, delicious loaf of bread would be, could be all too consuming. Consider something for a moment. 
If the devil came and tempted Jesus when he was weak, physically, do you think for a moment that the devil won't come and tempt us when we are weak? Of course he will, right? He's the deceiver and will exploit your weakness. Every opportunity he can, and you give him, he will exploit your weakness. That's why when you're sick, when you're going through trials, uh, all of these things, and you feel weak, and you're drawing back, the devil is waiting. He's right around the door. And he, he's just waiting for the perfect moment to come in and pounce on you. This, this isn't something to, um, to scare you. Not something. It's something to prepare you. It's something to make you aware. And I'm sure it's not something that you haven't already experienced. We need to be fully aware of the schemes of Satan. When we're in a weak physical state, in a weak emotional state, and a weak financial state, we need to be fully aware of the schemes of the enemy. He will come in so fast, so swiftly. He will look so good too. Oh, this is my way out. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's who he is. Don't think that he's anything different. John 10.10, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Those are Jesus' words. C.H. Spurgeon said, Quote, but let us do what we will. We shall be tempted. God had one son without sin, but he never had a son without temptation. Close quote. Jesus was even experiencing temptation. We're reading about it right now. Before Jesus was tempted, he had been in the best place anyone could ask to be in. Everything was going well. He was baptized, affirmed by heaven, and filled with the Holy Spirit. Man, oh man, how many people have fallen because they didn't stay alert to the schemes of the enemy when things were going great. I regret to say, many, many in the time that I've been walking with the Lord, I've, I've seen them fall, 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 and fall. A better way to literally translate what Satan said to Jesus would be to say, since you are the Son of God. You see, Satan is challenging the deity, his deity, by challenging him to prove his power in doing something that's miraculous. That's how he's challenging, he's given him a challenge. Since you are the Son of God, do this. Of course, I mean, this would be tempting. This, this is a real temptation. This is not something that, okay, let me give you a few examples. Jesus really wasn't tempted, you know. No, he was tempted. This is real. This is genuine. This is sincere. This is the very word of God. He experienced, he knew everything that you and I deal with. This would be tempting Jesus to use his divine powers for selfish reasons. But he was perfectly focused on fulfilling the Father's will, not his own. Even if it was at the expense of his own physical well-being. So that self-preservation, that's something that he had to deal with himself. Forty days and forty nights, no food. Turned that into a loaf of bread. To just a biscuit something. Even Paul asked multiple times for the thorn in his side to be removed. But Jesus replied in this manner, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 2 Corinthians 12.9 What if Jesus has this response to whatever it is that you're going through? Would that be the answer that you would like to hear? And the answer would be no. Right? 
I mean, who, who wants that? Who really desires that? Well, I'll tell you what. The Apostle Paul continued on in his walk with the Lord to fulfill the Father's will, not his own. Looking to the example of Jesus Christ himself, who walked out the Father's will, not his own. It wasn't that Jesus would refuse divine help when angels came to minister to him, but it had everything to do with Jesus submitting to him, to the will of the Father and his timing. And Jesus refused to compromise with the twisting of God's word and provocation to compromise to Satan. He refused that. I will not. He knew that his time of testing was not up. And it wasn't going to come by way of Satan giving him direction on how to do it. So how did Jesus respond? He said, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He quoted Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3. Why? What does that have to do? And this is sometimes what we ask. What does that have to do with me having this physical hunger? Like, I need this food. I know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Ah, you know, but I'm really hungry right now. I'm really hungry. I want to eat something. Is God going to let you die of hunger? That's a question, right? That people would ask. What kind of God is that? That he would actually allow you to die of hunger. You see, Satan was challenging Jesus to use his divine powers for something other than the Father's will. His time of testing was not over, and Jesus knew this. Jesus' point is God's word is more precious than food, food itself. Psalm 19.10 says, More to be desired are they than gold. God's word. Even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. I would rather die of hunger physically and be eternally in the fullness of God than to die spiritually and be eternally condemned in the barrenness of hell with despair and eternal torment. I was just talking to Moses before service. He's telling me about a story of Chet Lowe who was in South America, is that correct? South Africa, or Africa. He was talking about, he had been held up in gunpoint so many times that he thought he was just, at some point, he was just going to die. And he was, he was talking, this was a missions conference that um, we had a group of guys just go to and represent housetops for Haiti. And he was encouraging, he was Reminding, reminding each and every person, don't hold your life in such great esteem that you wouldn't allow yourself to lay it down for the sake of Christ. That's tough to hear. That is really tough to hear. But we are demonstrated by Jesus how to resist this temptation, even when we are physically, in some way, shape, or form, at our weakest. By rightly responding with the Word of God. But let me tell you this. This this is why I tell you repeatedly, be students of the Word of God. Know the Word of God. Memorize the Word of God. Know where to go to when certain issues of life come up. In the Word of God. Because if, if you don't know Scripture, then you need to know this that you are poorly armed to resist the temptations of Satan. You're poorly armed to resist the temptations of Satan. You won't know where to go to. You won't know the Word of God. You won't know truth. You won't know how to apply it. Why? Because you just don't know. So that's why I tell you be a student of the Word of God. Next, the pride of life. Verse 5. 
Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. That was his response. But wait a minute. Now, Satan himself is quoting scripture. He's quoting scripture. The pinnacle of the temple stood about 200 feet above the floor of the Kidron Valley. That's that's a long fall, right? Of course, this would be an amazing spectacle and one that would bring a sense of approval that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. It would. It would be this spectacular display that, God, that Jesus is truly the Son of God. That would be awesome. But let me ask you this. Didn't Jesus just have the voice of God, the heavens open up, and God say, this is my, this is my beloved Son? He, he did. Those words are remarkable themselves. And Jesus knew, I I don't have to put the Father to the test. I don't have to prove anything to anyone else. Certainly not to Satan. He knew exactly who Jesus was. He is the Son of God. And I tell you this, many devils take Scripture out of context and produce believers and followers that enjoy the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes. They agree. Oh, there's, there's buildings with lots of people that agree with a man behind the pulpit that's taking Scripture out of context and applying it in such a way that he's relieving their itchy ears. They're hearing exactly what they want to hear. If you just have enough faith, you will have everything in life that you desire. In fact, that is a demonstration that you do have enough faith. If you just get this and get that and this other thing, stop. That's nonsense. That's not right. That's not the truth. It is a group of people that follow the very thing that we are learning to deny in order that God may be glorified and not man in error and in compromise to the Word of God. It doesn't impress me when someone can quote much of the Bible but takes it out of context. It it does not impress me whatsoever. The devil did it, and Jesus didn't fall for it. You see, Satan had just quoted Psalm chapter 91, verses 11 and 12. So what? Jesus had just said, it is written. So what does the devil do? I'm going to copy you. I'm going to say too, well, it is written. This is what it says. True, but it's wrongly applied. A text out of context is a pretext to whatever it is that you want to make up. That's what it is. It is critical that you become a student of the Word of God. I'm going to say that over and over. I'm, you know, as long as God gives me breath, I'm going to keep saying that. And what's our answer to that? I just, I, you know, I'm so busy. I just don't have the time. I, I, I'm, I mean, I, mean I, I come to church and I like being around everyone, but I'm just not that religious. I mean, that's the world's answer to everything. You know, guys, maybe men, maybe you think that your your wife, that's her part, and then your part is just bringing home the bread. No, we are to be the priests of our home. We are to be the pastors of our home. We are to be the leaders of our home. We are to know the word of God. We should be the covering of our home. We need to know the Word of God. 
There, there is no justification for not getting into the Word of God and being students of it. It's a command of God. Why wouldn't you follow it? Again, it would have been spectacular for this to take place. What Satan was tempting Jesus with. Jesus throws himself down, and then everyone sees how the angels catch him and carry him to safety. Let me ask you this. How many people demand that God do something spectacular in your lives in order for him to prove his love for you? If you just do this, God, I know that you love me. If you just do this. There is one thing that God did that should demonstrate the spectacular and amazing love that he has for us. Can you just close your eyes for a moment? If you do me a favor, just close your eyes for a moment. There's a hill that Jesus ascended to. And this is what was heard. And he was nailed to the cross. Was that not spectacular enough for us? His display of love. The Father sending His only begotten Son to die on the cross for you and I. Romans 5.8 You can open up your eyes. Think about that. It just came to mind, you know. So I was going to reference this and the sound that was heard, the cries the anguish, his crucifixion. Is that not enough? Do we continue to demand things from God to prove his love for us? He doesn't owe us anything. We owe him everything. Are we not willing to do just that? Be living sacrifices unto the Lord. We're constantly demanding things from him. Why do we do that? We don't have the answers to everything this side of heaven. But we have one life to give. And I pray that every day we would redeem the moment and we would live for the sake of glorifying the Lord. Not ourselves, not anyone else, not demanding Him to prove His love for us, not demanding that He does things for us, but simply in humble surrender, live entirely for Him. Let's talk about the last one. The lust of the eyes. Verse 8, as we continue. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So Satan has the audacity to tell him all of these kingdoms, everything. And we don't know how exactly he showed it to him. That must have been spectacular. How it is that Satan could have shown him all the kingdoms, everything, the glory of the world at the time. And said, all of this can be yours. But he did. It's like, LOL, are you serious? Satan, what can you give me that I don't already have? Right? Like you're offering to me something that you yourself will not possess for very much longer. <laughs> Satan's carrot was a shortcut and a deviation from the Father's purpose and will for why Jesus came to earth. Oh, that should be a lesson for us. There's a purpose and a plan that God has for you and I. You should know it. And any carrot that's dangled before you could be a deviation could be like this shortcut that we get fooled into taking on ourselves from what the Father's plan truly is. 
Satan offers the kingdoms of the world. If Jesus would only fall down and worship Satan. Isn't this what Satan's been desiring from the moment he fell? From God's grace, from his presence, and was cast down? Yeah. He fell because a prideful attempt to be like God. He desires, still today, to be worshipped. He's willing to give up the kingdoms of the world in order to be recognized as God is and worshipped like Him. In Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, it says, You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan's temptation of Jesus had to be real, again, for it to be a temptation and a test. This means that Satan is at the present time the possessor of the ruling of the earth as we are not free of sin. We're, we're in this time of history that we have not been, been relieved of sin existing on earth. We're not living in the new heaven and the new earth as Revelation chapter 21 verse 1 refers to. We're not there today. Satan is called the prince of the power of the air according, according to Ephesians 2.2. 2. Ultimately, we know that all things belong to God, but God allows to uh, him... Satan to function as the God of this age. It's for a purpose, and the world is a mess because of this. So the question is, what about you? Because it always has to come back to us personally. We have to take the word of God. It's like, how does this matter to me? How does this apply to me? When you're shown the heights of this world, what are you willing to do to possess them for yourself? Remember I told you that I myself, I understand these shiny objects. You know, it's like, wow, that looks really good. All right. But what are we willing to do to possess these for ourselves? Are you willing to compromise your relationship with Jesus Christ? How about following through with the will of God? What is the will of God? Read the word of God and you will know the will of God. To bless him, to glorify him. By the way... There's so many different areas in your life that God wants and desires for you to bring him glory in. It's not just in your family. It's not just in your marriage. It's not just in your relationship with your kids. It's also in society. It's also in your work. And it's also in church. Again, referring to Ephesians chapter 4, you can look throughout the book of Acts. You know, all throughout. We're supposed to function like a body. That means everyone does their part. So it's always a call. You know, the pastor is always pointing you into the direction of being obedient to, to the Lord. Not for the sake of the benefit of the local church, but for the benefit of, the, of blessing our God, Jesus Christ. That's why. The God of whatever is necessary... To get ahead without considering God and his word? Would you be willing to compromise to that God? The fisherman knows what to lure the fish with. What attracts them and will lead them to bite down on what they are convinced is good. Right? So a good fisherman knows what lures and what to use to bait the fish to bite it and not realize that there is a hook in that bait. The lust of the eyes deceives them and causes them to bite down on the hook that pulls them into the clutches of the one who baited the hook. By the way, the devil is patient. And he's willing to dangle this hook in front of you for years if necessary. And if you drop your guard for one moment, you may get hooked and brought down. Years. Years. 
He'll wait for that one little moment to where you think that all is well. And boom, he'll set the hook. And you're his. He'll bring you in. I can think of many examples of that. So how did Jesus answer? He said, it is written. He replied with scripture in context and commanded Satan to leave. Satan indeed did leave. And he will leave us for a while. But we also need to understand, rest assured, that he will be back for another attempt. So for you and I, be ready. Be, be ready for it. Don't fear him. The only one to fear is God. But don't, don't fear him. His schemes, I mean, if, once you understand how he does things, it's like a telegraph punch. You can see it coming. That's how it is. The only way you'll truly pass any kind of a wilderness test is what we see here. This, is, this was a test or a series of tests for Jesus in the wilderness. The only way you'll truly pass these tests, these temptations, is to know the word of God and stand to the temptations and testings of Satan by living the word of God out, by knowing it, applying to your lives, living it out. James 4, 7 says this, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Flee from you. That's the kind of power that lives within us. That's the power of the word of God. He cannot possess you. He may be able to oppress you, but he cannot possess the same body that is, that is possessed, that is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. It just can't happen. You belong to God. If you are in Christ, you belong to God. Remember, it's not a sin also to be tempted. But it only becomes sin when you give in to the temptation. John Trapp said this. Quote, the word of God hath a power in it to quail and to quash Satan's temptations. Far better than that wooden dagger, that leaden sword of the papist, their holy water, crossings, grains, dirty relics. It is not the sign of the cross, but the word of the cross that overthrows Satan. Always remember that. It's the word of the cross. That is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So I tell you, know it. So I'll leave you with this. 1 John 2.16 For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So, as we consider these things, you know, is there anything in your life that you could say it, it's it's been a detraction? It, it's been, it, I've allowed it to kind of make me go off track and make me deviate from the will and the plan that God has for my life. In in, in any way. You know, we need to consider those things. Um, sometimes we need to consider those things on a, on a weekly, ba- daily basis. You know, what is it that today, Lord, has taken your place in my life? In the long term, what have I done that has kind of taken me in a different direction? Well, godly conviction leads to sorrow. That leads to repentance. That leads to life. And life eternal. This abundant life that, that Jesus referred to in John 10.10. 10. That's what he desires to give us. The abundant life in Christ. That we would walk in abundant life. Again, I, I pray that we don't continue to insist that God would continue to prove himself to us. I, I pray we stop. If we're doing that, let's stop. Let's simply receive him for who he is in our lives. Accept the place in where we are and live, live joyful and thankful and lives full of gratitude and thankfulness toward the Lord. Because this is the day that the Lord has given us. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Tomorrow's not promised to anyone. Not a single soul. Not to the two-year-old. Not to the 12-year-old. 
22 or the 72 year old tomorrow's not promised and so today is the, the only day that we can live to the glory of god the lord is the lifter of our heads let him be just that walk with him and let's see those things for what they are in our lives repent from them and continue to walk with the lord amen father we are, we are truly thankful for that one demonstration of love that you gave for us. And that is your son, Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you, Father, for that demonstration. Lord, we confess our sins to you. We ask you for your forgiveness. We ask, Lord, that you would cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that which is not of you, that you would help us to walk with joy in our hearts, knowing that we belong to you. And I pray if there's, no, if there's someone here that does not know you, that today be the day in which they understand that you are truly Jesus, the Son of God. That you are the one that came to die on the cross in our place. To pay for our sins in full with your lifeblood. And that on the third day after being in the grave, you rose from it. Being victorious over sin and victorious over the grave. And that is death. And by placing our trust in you, we have everlasting life. I pray, Lord, that if there's someone here who does not know salvation in Christ, that this morning would be the day of salvation. They would cry out to you and asking you for forgiveness and for you to be Lord and Savior. It truly is, as Alan Redpath said, the miracle of a moment. And so we are thankful eternally for that display of love. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.